Hi, this is Kim, and welcome back to Weber County's Greatest Generation. Today is the 25th podcast, and that makes me really excited. There's only a little over 180 to go to tell the stories of all of those who were killed or died during the war, plus a lot of other great Weber County stories that are coming up. So today's story is about an Ogden man who is considered to be the first American to step into German territory in World War II. Richard Spencer Burroughs was born on June 1st, 1910, to James Samuel and Lydia Winters Burroughs. He graduated from Ogden High School and from Weber College, which was a two-year college at the time. In the 1920 census, the family lived at 2548 Quincy. His dad, James, died on May 21st, 1921. In the 1930 census, his mom had remarried George Burnham, and they were living at 766 26th Street in Ogden. On September 17, 1933, there was an article in the Standard Examiner. The marriage of Miss Melba McDonald, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Angus McDonald, to Richard Spencer Burroughs was announced today. And in the 1940 census, the family lived at 967 26th Street, just down the street. He was 29, Melba was 25, and they had a daughter, Patricia Ann, who was 5. When he filled out his draft card in 1940, he reported that he was employed at Stimson's Grocery Store on 26th and Monroe. His military record indicates he enlisted on November 24, 1942, and left from Salt Lake. On August 16, 1943, the Standard reported, Richard S. Burroughs, formerly of 2853 Lincoln, Ogden, was recently graduated from the Ordnance Officers Candidate School at Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. He was commissioned a second lieutenant and assigned to duty at the Ordnance Officer Replacement Pool in Aberdeen. Lieutenant Burroughs received his basic military training at the Replacement Center. He is the son of Mrs. Lydia Burroughs, 2922 Taylor in Ogden. He left for overseas in October of 1943, and he was in the 3rd Armored Division of the 7th Army. One thing I hadn't realized before is that the battle in Normandy continued long after the June 6th invasion. The invasion was only the first phase, and after the Allies got onto the beach, they needed to move out quickly and establish a foothold so they had the space to maneuver and the room to handle the men and supplies still coming in from England. So the biggest obstacle that they would have to overcome will be the hedgerows in Normandy. So I've been to Normandy, and I've seen the hedgerows, and it's something that Americans would not normally understand. American farms are divided by fences, but the farms in Normandy are divided by hedgerows. They are mounds of dirt that were originally built by the Romans to separate the various plots of land, and a hedgerow could contain an irrigation ditch to provide water to crops and animals. So over the hundreds of years since they were first built, a tall and thick growth of plants have turned the ditches into tunnels, and some of the hedgerows are now over 16 feet high. And they aren't in a grid, as uh, we would think of a fence. They're made of a variety of sizes and heights and widths, and sometimes even in different shapes. They're connected by a trail road that was used by wagons that would wound through them. So even though there weren't um, a lot of Germans with the first invasion, they were able to get to Normandy and set up a defense system. They used the hedgerows to camouflage their positions, and they also had landmines along the routes that the Allies would try to get through. Between this and the rain and the mud, um, it would keep the Allied troops tied up for weeks. 
It was nearly impossible for the tanks and the soldiers to see what lay ahead and then try to maneuver the tanks through the hedgerows while under fire from the Germans. So in order to break out, on July 24, 1944, General Omar Bradley launched Operation Cobra. This was a preliminary bombing using 1,600 bombers of the 8th Air Force. On July 25th at 9.40 a.m., they launched an air raid where they dropped 3,300 tons of bombs. And at 11 a.m., the ground troops followed, launching an assault. Captain A. Eaton Roberts, who was a battalion surgeon and a member of the 33rd Infantry Regiment, wrote a history in 1945 called Five Stars to Victory. The exploits of Task Force Lovelady, U.S. Army, in a war against Germany, 1944 through 45. The task force was named after Colonel William B. Lovelady of the 33rd Armored Division. So this is an amazing history. It talks about every day and what was going on. So I'm going to link um, the history to the podcast on Facebook so that you can look at it in its entirety. It's amazing. He wrote in the dedication, This brief tribute can only be dedicated to those who will never wear five bronze stars on their European theater of operations ribbon, indicating that they had fought in five major campaigns, for they are dead or crippled. It was their blood which traced a sanguine trail from the beaches of Normandy to the banks of the River Mould. Their shattered bodies make the friendly soil of French and Belgium priceless to the few who remain alive, and unmaimed to where their decorations in memory of these are fallen comrades of Task Force Lovelady. In his record, he is going to outline what the 33rd Armored Regiment's um, duties were in Operation Cobra. His history starts on D-Day 15, which is 15 days after June 644. Chapter 1 is called the Normandy Beachhead, in which Task Force Lovelady receives its baptism in blood and learns to hate the German enemy. The Cobra plan was for a reconnaissance company of the 33rd Armored Division, led by Lieutenant James Cleveland, would jump off first, followed closely by Task Force Royston, and then Task Force Lovelady. So quoting from his story, the 25th of July was the fateful day. No general announcement was needed to tell us that. Hordes of bombers flew over like a locust plague. We watched in awe their sticks of bombs dropped from gaping bellies and felt the earth and ourselves tremble as by an earthquake. It seemed an endless process of flight after flight flew over us for nearly two hours. Surely nothing would be living through the swath cut by these 8,000 tons of explosives. Black puffs of bursting akak contrasted sharply against the silvered fortresses and several planes crumpled like paper, fluttering lifeless to the ground. Relentlessly, the bombers continued, never once losing their near-perfect formations of approximately 35 ships in each flight. Casualties started coming in prematurely, and we soon learned that some of the bombs had fallen short, killing and wounding many of our own troops. Ernie Pyle, who was a famous war correspondent, wrote vividly of this since he was the one who wished he were another 800 yards further back. Colonel Royston was talking on the radio constantly, encouraging, advising, scolding, congratulating, alternately as the situation demanded. The theme was speed, and if the drive slowed down, he wanted to know why. His favorite quote-unquote pep talk was something like this, and it worked. Now the longer you stop, the more casualties you're going to have. Keep moving, and you won't give them a chance to get you zeroed in. We have a job to do, and we're going to do it, whatever the cost. We must throw caution to the winds and be completely reckless. 
When you have casualties and lose vehicles, keep right on going. If a company commander becomes a casualty, the second in the command takes over immediately. As soon as you stop, in addition to wasting time, you're going to have more people killed and hurt. So whatever happens, absorb your losses and keep moving. This went on all day. We were gaining momentum, knocking out German vehicles and equipment without hardly stopping. Every now and then, a medical man would jump off of a tank to take care of a wounded and wait with them until a half-track ambulance would arrive and take them back to the aid station. They didn't even take the time to send prisoners back under guard. All through the day, German soldiers were walking toward the rear, hands behind their heads, many still shaken by the bombing, all frightened at the speed and power of our attack. By the end of the day, there were some 200 prisoners taken by Task Force Lovelady and Royston. Dust blended into darkness. We dug foxholes and slept fitfully, if at all, until the first rays of dawn called us to another long day of action. On July 26, the tempo increased. Going back to the history, the 3rd Armored Division relaunched the offensive, moving against the Panzer Lehr Division, which were two squadrons of the Panzer Division Das Reich, who were on counterattack. They attacked American tanks on the outskirts of the French town Minch, and both sides engaged in heavy fighting until the Americans finally seized the town in late afternoon. The roads were filled with German vehicles and were cleared by American bulldozers. Going back to Captain Roberts' account, Twilight found us counting our losses with 25 wounded and 4 killed, and among the wounded was Lieutenant Burroughs. On September 2, 1944, the Standard Examiner reported, Lieutenant Richard Burroughs gets Purple Heart. Lieutenant Richard S. Burroughs was wounded in action in France on July 26, for which he received the Purple Heart. He is now recovered and back on duty with the Armored Division. He was commissioned on July 31, 1943 at Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland and assigned to overseas duty a few weeks later. Mrs. Burroughs and daughter Patricia Ann are living with her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Angus McDonald, while Lieutenant Burroughs is overseas. He is the son of Mrs. James McGregor. So Captain Roberts has the story of all of the details from what happens in July through September, but we're going to skip to chapter two called The Rhineland. And he notates on there in which Task Force Lovelady becomes the first Allied unit to capture a German town, pressing onward relentlessly into the teeth of the world's most formidable man-made barrier, the Siegfried Line, catches its breath to punch another hole in, expediting the first United States Army drive to the Ruhr. Task Force Lovelady had gained momentum during the two months of whirling combat across France and Belgium. We were too tired, too dirty, too busy during those two months to consider our past accomplishments. Our interests, wishes, and prayers lay in the path ahead. Each man knew in his heart his job was not finished, that there was no such thing as having done one's share so long as there was life and breath in one's body. We knew Task Force Lovelady would go on and on until the last German soldier laid down his arms or died. The same unfaltering will and faith that carried us so many miles toward victory rode with us into the teeth of the Siegfried Line. Early in the morning of that memorable day, the 12th of September, 1944, reconnaissance forces set out to find a suitable route across the border into Rochen. By noon, we were on our way, most of us hardly realizing that we would sleep in Germany that night. At the bottom of a winding hill lay a railroad track and station, and beyond them, a village. On the western side was a farmhouse, the red, yellow, and black Belgian flag flying from an upstairs window. 
On the eastern side, hastily improvised white flaps of surrender fluttered listlessly and resignedly from the houses. Then we knew that here was the international boundary line and we were going into Germany. At 1,451 hours, a platoon from the Reconnaissance Company 33rd Armored Regiment, led by Lieutenant Burroughs, crossed the border, followed instantly by the main body of Task Force Lovelady. We were entering Rochen, the first town in Hitler's doomed fatherland to fall into the Allied hands. When this startling report reached Commander Command B headquarters, Brigadier General Boudinot could not restrain his elation. In anticipation of this event, his command post was filled with news reporters. Those of us tuned in on the task force radio station heard General Boudinot speak to the operator. Tell Lovelady he's famous, congratulate him, and tell him to keep on going. Most of the civilians stayed in their houses. Those who were outside, and those who looked inquisitively from their doorways, wore the half-frightened mask of surrender. We breathed a sigh of relief that they did not plan to defend this first German town, house by house and stone by stone. Warily, approaching the eastern edge of the village, its only exit, reconnaissance stopped at a large crater in the road, hurriedly blown to delay us longer. Lieutenant Burroughs dismounted from his tank to examine it further and was shot dead by an enemy rifleman. In a much later interview, Colonel Lovelady describes the day. We crossed the border at about four in the afternoon and had no opposition. We crossed the railroad tracks and went into Rochen. Right after we crossed there, there were 10 or 12 newspaper correspondents that came up and wanted the whole story of the crossing. And I wasn't too impressed because we had just lost one of our best officers, Lieutenant Burroughs, a reconnaissance officer that led us there and was one of the first to cross the border. On September 14, 1944, the Standard Examiner had a picture of Mrs. Burroughs holding her husband's picture and a picture to the side of their daughter, Patricia Ann. The caption read, Ogdenite first, reported the first man to cross the German frontier in the victorious Rochen battle, was Lieutenant Lou Burroughs, the wrong first name and Burroughs spelled incorrectly, believed to be Lieutenant Richard Spencer Burroughs, husband of Mrs. Melba Burroughs of 2853 Lincoln. At his side, his daughter Patricia Ann, aged 10, is a fifth grader at Pingree School. The confusion in the name was created by the reporters who had shouted to Burroughs to ask him his name on the way into the city and reported it incorrectly, but they figured it out really quickly. What is interesting is it doesn't appear that Mrs. Burroughs knows about her husband's death at the time of this article, even though it all happened at the same time. On October 7, 1944, the Standard Examiner reported, First Invader Killed in German Border Battle. Lieutenant Richard Spencer Spence Burroughs, believed to be the first American to set foot on German soil during the current invasion, was killed in action on September 12th, the same date on which press dispatches identified a Lieutenant Burroughs of Ogden as the first American to cross the boundary in the invasion of Germany. Lieutenant Burroughs was an officer of a reconnaissance company which made up the vanguard of the German-bound American units. His company was part of a tank division. Lieutenant Burroughs entered the Army in November of 1942. He was wounded during the French campaign and had been awarded the Purple Heart. A native of Ogden, he was born on June 1, 1910, a son of James Samuel and Lydia Winter Burroughs. He was a graduate of Ogden High School and Weber College and was later employed as manager of the produce department at Stimson's Market and as an ammunition inspector at Ogden Arsenal. Survivors include his widow, whom he married August 1, 1933, 
his daughter, Patricia Ann, and his mother, Mrs. James McGregor. And then again on March 11, 1945, just two months before the war in Europe was ended, the Standard Examiner says medal presented to widow of officer. Lieutenant Richard S. Burrell, who was killed in action while serving with an armored division in Europe, has been posthumously awarded the Silver Star, the fifth highest decoration by the War Department. The award for gallantry in action on July 26, 1944, was presented to the lieutenant's widow, Mrs. Melba M. Burrell's 2853 Lincoln, Ogden. But the story isn't finished yet. On September 8, 2019, there was another article in the Standard Examiner. A tank commander from Ogden, who led the first American capture of a German town during World War II, is being memorialized on the 75th anniversary of the feat. Relatives of Lieutenant Richard Spencer Burroughs are traveling to Rochen, Germany, for ceremony marking the U.S.'s 7th Army's milestone breakthrough into the Nazi homeland. Burroughs commanded the 3rd Armored Division tank platoon that burst into the small town on the Belgian border at 2.51 p.m. on September 12, 1944, according to a division history written by Captain A. Eaton Roberts in 1949. His daughter, Patricia Burroughs Larson of Ogden, last saw her dad before he was shipped out to train for the European War. She was 8 years old. After the American forces passed Rochen, Burroughs apparently became the first American ground casualty on German soil felled by a German sniper after he stepped down from his tank to examine a road obstruction. Burroughs, already wounded in France, was posthumously awarded two Purple Stars and the Silver Star. Before the war, the Ogden native was produce manager at Stimson's Market at 26th and Monroe. Then before joining the Army, Spence Burroughs was an ordnance specialist at the Ogden Arsenal in Clearfield. It was crucial to the war effort, his daughter said. He didn't have to go, but he enlisted. Burroughs, already 32, had graduated from Weber College when the Army sent him to officer's training school. He went into combat in France after D-Day in June of 1944. The last time I saw him, my mom and I were down to the railroad station in Ogden. We were on the platform of the train and told him goodbye. In the push into Germany, Burroughs was part of the Operation Spearhead, commanded by Lieutenant Colonel William B. Lovelady. Burroughs' platoon was part of the 33rd Armored Reconnaissance Battalion. What a great guy, Larson said of her father. He was a really nice dad. She remembers that on a family outing before he shipped out, he was in his lieutenant's uniform. I was amazed that the soldiers all over had to salute him. George Vogel of Ogden, Burroughs' great-nephew, said the community of Rochin, a little town about the size of Tremonton, is holding a memorial ceremony on Tuesday, September 12th, and the local History Society is holding an event two days later. He said the ceremonies commemorate Burroughs and his fellow soldiers, as well as the first German soldier who was killed there in the ground invasion. A monument to Burroughs and his men will be unveiled, and the town will dedicate a memorial park. Larson, who is an 85-year-old former state legislator, said her father wrote a sad letter home in June of 1944. He told my mother he was so concerned about his men, he called them his boys. Everyone was so tired, sleeping in trenches with beetles and bugs. He also wrote about what he wanted to do when he got home and told his wife how much he loved her and their daughter. Plus, he said he hoped the couple would have more children. He told my mom she should get married again if he didn't come back. She never did. Lieutenant Burroughs is buried in the Henri Chapelle American Cemetery and Memorial in Belgium. So there you have it, another awesome story. Whoever would have thought that a kid from Weber County 
that went to Ogden High School would be the first man to cross into Germany near the end of World War II. Thanks for joining again. You can find the podcast on Weber County's Greatest Generation Facebook page and also on iTunes. I will link the um, story that we have from Captain Roberts to the Facebook page so that you can actually read that.